Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. Welcome to Everything Co-op this morning. And this morning, we have Mr. David Levine, the co-founder of American Sustainable Business Council. Good morning, David. Good morning. How are you today? I'm doing great. And you? Good, thank you. Fantastic. I want to know, how did you get the idea of starting this American Sustainability Business Council? Yeah, so it's the, uh, uh, to be exact, the American Sustainable Business Council, folks are searching for it. You know, was started back at the uh, cusp of 2008-2009. And, and part of it was that we were, I was looking around and trying to understand why we weren't making more progress on implementing policies and being able to move forward on sort of the kind of decision-making that would enable us to both address some of the key environmental issues, but also more fair economic issues, address the social issues and the like. And what we were seeing was that often there was sort of this business backlash against moving forward on policies that advance the well-being of workers in the workplace, whether raising wages or benefits like paid leave and family leave and protecting the environment and like. Often it was, you move forward on this, it's bad for business. You know, it went back and harkened back to some of the trees versus jobs, but it's, you know, what's good for employees isn't good for business type frame as well. So we saw that, and then we said, we looked around and said, well, who, who is saying these sorts of things? And what you found was, you know, it was a business perspective that says it's about short-term profit at all costs. Let me get in a minute, David, because I just want to make sure. You said a mouthful. You said environmental issues, social issues. I mean, how do you make all of this equitable? And what's right. good for the employee in terms of wages or benefits? or mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And when you look at all of these things, somebody is saying these issues are bad for business. Okay. That's that's right. And so what we what the premise for starting the American Sustainable Business Council was that there was a growing number of businesses, let them just call them values based businesses that understood whether it was what we might call a triple bottom line of people, planet and profit, where they were considering themselves responsible or the number of, you know, worker owned companies that you know were instilled with a bunch of different values that understood the importance of workplace democracy and understood taking care of workers and workers as owners and the like and but the largest said or that one is responsible to their larger community right so we understood that there was these this larger number of of companies out there that were in that place of and 
But what was missing, as these numbers of companies had grown, increased in the, the, the sort of business practices internally and become more sustainable or responsible or, you know, any number of other ways of explaining it, what we saw what was missing was that they didn't have a voice. They weren't at the table when decisions were being made often at the local, state, and particularly at the national level. And so we saw an opportunity to say to business organizations and companies, what if we actually came together, right, collaborated, mm -hmm. and aggregated our voice and even then began to assume a greater power so that we can then engage with the White House, Congress, state legislators, local legislators, and the like, in order to then drive on the policies that would support the kinds of decisions that would support, in turn, the values that these business owners were there. And in part, what you're doing also, though, was providing this counter-business perspective, right? It's because you have folks arguing, you know, for workers' rights, you know, going up against corporate rights or, 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 or corporate perspective. You, you could have environmentalists going up against business leaders, again, you know, with that perspective, they're holding what's good for business, others are holding. But here we were able to come forward with making a business and economic case for why these decisions make sense to incorporate this triple bottom line type thinking into our policies and the like. So now you had a, a counterbalance to that short term. So whether it was, you know, the corporate lobbyists that were driving on this or the positions that the U.S. Chamber of Commerce has taken over the, the last number of years or the like, you know, there was now another business voice out there and perspective that was showing here are businesses that are financially successful and are holding these other perspectives and values and have business practices that can treat workers well and therefore their businesses are going to grow because of it and they can invest more back in the business as well as their employees, and then everyone wins in that perspective, right? So this type of thinking, you know, all led us to sort of build the ASDC. And so in doing so, what we're doing is bringing together business organizations that are place-based at the local, state, and then we're bringing together different trade associations and the like. And, you know, as a part of the, the membership as well, we've got Groups like One Worker, One Vote, the Rocky Mountain Employee Ownership Center, the Evergreen Cooperatives, the National Center for Employee Ownership, and businesses, you know, that you know, represent some of the forward-thinking ESOPs and the like, like NRS or Dansco or Cliff Bar or Eileen Fisher and New Belton Brewery and South Mountain Company and the Union Cab of Madison. So these are businesses that know that the model works for them around worker ownership, and but are also then joining with ASDC to be a part of the effort to drive on policy that's going to support worker ownership, but also drive on the policies that support the sustainable economy that I'm referring to, because they know in the long term that's in the best interest of society. David, I really want to thank Michael Peck for giving me your name you've got you and you and him have something very similar you all have a lot to say in in a short time <laughs> you just packed up 
Oh. It's, it's that quick New York talk. <laughs> okay. okay. Trying to squeeze it in before the next subway comes. That's okay. all. <laughs> so you don't have an elevator speech. You have a subway speech. I got it. You have said uh, several mouthfuls of what this program has been talking about now for four years, this whole sort of, uh, David, I got my MBA out of Stanford, uh, graduated in 76, and the whole sort of decision-making process was what is the best decision that give you the best rate of return for the investor. That was it. There was no That's other right. variable. There wasn't a variable about what's best for the employees or what's best for the environment or What's best for the community necessarily? That might be subset down there somewhere, but it was the, the main variable was that short-term decision. What's best for the, our shareholder? And that's been that's the model that was taught then, and I, my sense is it's still taught that way. And this whole sort of idea, I, I just got, I praise you, man. It's just it's wonderful what you're doing to put a voice to this. And I've been trying to meet you or somebody like you that would put, this whole last election, I tried to get this co-op model, uh, people in the co-op world, in the conversation as a block, so they have a voice, uh, and you're doing it. So congratulations. I, I think part of right, part of the, the the culture shift that needs to take place, you know, and and who better than those in in, in the cooperative movement to understand that we need to actually collaborate and cooperate with each other across organizational lines as well. So there's, you know, the, the good news is that there's a growing number of organizations you know, in the space of thinking about and trying to enact different forms of employee ownership, worker ownership, you know, uh, other forms of co-ops and the like. And you know, the opportunity is for all of those folks right, to be able to be banding together. And so what we have developed with a number of those groups, like One Worker, One Vote, and the other uh, cooperative groups that I had mentioned earlier, you know, is this whole idea of an ownership for all campaign, with the idea being that, you know, we are stronger together and let's move on a policy agenda at the local, state, and national level that would lift everyone up together. Because if we don't stand you know, united in that way, you know, we don't have enough of the power in order to exact the change that we need to have. And and it's crucial. And, you know, the, the key questions here are, you know, what role can worker ownership, you know, actually play in transforming the economy and looking at some of the key issues that the economy is facing at the moment, right? We're in the midst of the tax bill being passed at the moment, you know, and what is that what does that can actually do to actually rebuild the middle class, to create the kinds of well-being and wealth, you know, beyond just money opportunities for the broad segments of our country and the like? Those kinds of questions can be answered a lot by the, the community of folks that your radio show reaches out to and involves and the like, and that's what we're hoping and joined also with the other responsible business voices out there that together we could build that kind of collective power. So creating that culture of how we need to be able to work together in order to be, we don't have to agree with each other. We don't have to become one organization, but if we can really be 
thinking about that we're much stronger when we work together, right? Mm-hmm. You know, then, then, then I think that's the kind of opportunity we have, particularly when we're looking at exacting the kind of change that we need to see in order to support this type of work. Well, David, we're going to have to take our first break, and I'd like to come back and some point, I don't know if it's the next break or not, talk about that tax bill and, and the impact on middle class and those people that want to move up from the poverty to middle class. And the difference I hear from the Republicans that are pushing the bill and from the Democrats that are not pushing the bill. So we'll come back and talk about that. But I really want to talk more about uh, ASBC. We'll be right back, everybody. Please don't touch that dial. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, WOS, and 95.9 FM. Information is power. That's why WOL makes a great partner with this program. The National Cooperative Bank is sponsoring this program to give you the information about cooperatives and the kinds of things that David Levine is talking about today that if you take that information and put it to use, then that's where you get the power. But it's only in the action. You get no, no, no power just by having the information. You have to put it in use. And I would suggest you may want to go online and one action to take and look at American Sustainable Business Council and what their issues are, the actions they're taking, and perhaps join that organization. Uh, I'm going to look at doing that too, David. I really like what you said in this first segment. Uh, so let's let's continue talking about ASBC. Yeah. Uh, so I think, you know, one of the other pieces, you know, just to understand the frame here, you know, is, you know, just in terms of the larger concept is, you know, if we look at, you know, one of the, the pieces that we, we put forward is to think about you measure what matters in, in the world and the like. And I think, you know, the kinds of conversations that you're having the folks talking about the benefits of worker ownership and the values that that brings forward and the like don't necessarily get captured when you look at the GDP, right, which is our main measure of economic understanding of how well we're actually doing. You and know, the, and, and the GDP, favorite, for those out there that don't know, is a gross domestic product. That's all of the goods and services that we produce in a year. We measure that. Go that's right. Exactly. Thank you. And there's a little, you know, little story that I and others sort of tell to try and understand it. You know, if we take a look at cigarettes, you know, and the like, and so you have uh, the tobacco industry, you know, so folks produce the tobacco, it gets sold, the GDP goes up, made into cigarettes, cigarettes get sold, the GDP goes up. Right, because of the economic activity, someone smokes the cigarettes, right, and they, you know, uh, develop sickness. So they end up at the, at the doctor. The GDP goes up. You know, eventually they contract cancer. You know, and they they pass away, unfortunately. And the the funeral services take place, and the GDP goes up and the like. But it's the quality of life you know, for that individual gone up. So, you know, just as an anecdote, you know, to understanding that the values of how do we have a meaningful life, how do we create well-being in the world, how do we measure those sorts of things is a part of the sort of the economic worthiness of understanding that 
if the earth is, you know, being impacted by extreme weather and the like, and it's causing the kind of damage that it has, you know, in Hurricane o, over 90 to maybe $190 billion of damage in Houston, $90 billion of damage, you know, in Puerto Rico, you know, Hurricane Sandy, over $70 million right here in New York, so in New Jersey. So the, the question is, you know, are we creating a growth economy for the sake of growth, or are we looking at these other sets of values? And so the whole idea of the kinds of businesses that we actually create that, you know, infuse in it these broader sets of values and can create the economic well-being, can grow business, can grow good jobs as a part of it, can protect the environment, you know, can create more meaningful lives for folks and the like. So when we look around, that's kind of important, right? <laughs> kind so, of, yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, you know, even, you know, I think, you know, some of the things when we're looking at, you know, the if we tie it back, and this is how, you know, when you do this kind of holistic thinking, you know, you know, I think it, it's really beneficial to us all to understand the kind of things and the values and benefits that come from really advancing worker ownership here. If, if we look around at the opioid crisis and, and the like, and we've had a number of conversations with legislators in highly impacted states across the country, and this is Republican, you know, as well as Democrat and the like, you know, we understand that it's, it's a massive problem there. But how much of that, you know, can we understand is actually coming from folks that are not finding meaning in life? And how much do we understand that what people's work is and the ability to sort of create meaningful work life as important to creating a meaningful life, which keeps folks then perhaps from moving to the path of the kind of addiction that we're seeing in this opioid crisis and the like. So the idea is if you look at worker ownership potentially as a pathway to not only understanding it creates greater economic opportunity for folks, it gives them a greater opportunity to participate in workplace democracy, giving them a voice, right? Mm -hmm. And when you have a voice and you have some power in the world, it creates greater meaning for you. And if it creates greater meaning, then it creates greater well-being. And if it creates greater well-being, there's less of a need to be able to move towards the kind of dulling of senses that the opioids would provide and the like. So it's this kind of setting of connections that I think we need to be able to make to understand that these are not just isolated opportunities and it's a nice thing to build a, a worker co-op and the like, but there, there's the values that are instilled in it, the practices that can be built into these worker co-ops can address a lot of the social, environmental, and economic issues writ large. You know, let me give you this quote that, that if you haven't heard it, it may help. The Dame Pauline Green was the uh, media past president of the International Cooperative Alliance, and she was on this program and said that co-ops brings people out of poverty with dignity. And that's yes, what sir. this with dignity is what you just talked about. Uh, when well-being and a grading meaning of life, it's, it's getting people to not only be able to make a living, uh, and sometimes make a living plus uh, create wealth, uh, savings, et cetera, 
but it gives them this whole sense that you're talking about. When you have voice, when you have a say of what time do I come to work and how many hours do I work and what do I do in the workplace and what do we do with the profits? Do we keep it in the, in the business or do we uh, donate to some in, uh, cause to help the community? Having that voice gives people this sort of uh, real sort of, how you want to say, this quality of life of who I am. That they have self-worth. And therefore, they have hope. And with hope, you don't need drugs. And David, I'm from Bluefield, West Virginia. Now, you go back down McDowell County, Monroe County, Mercer County, where I'm from in West Virginia, the opioid problem is, is, is massive because folks don't have hope. They don't have jobs. The coal, mine, the coal industry's gone. That's what my grandfather worked in, and my father worked on a railroad uh, moving the coal. Those industries are gone. Therefore, they do drugs. They do marijuana and opioids and cocaine, heroin, all of that stuff is down there. So and it's awful. It's really bad when you say that in McDowell County, in the, in the elementary schools, that most of the kids are being raised by their grandparents. Okay? It's right. terrible. So this whole sense of, and I've been trying to get this idea down there of worker co-ops. <laughs> okay? Because they're getting things like what do you call off-road ATVs, they're going right. down with it, and they have all of these tours coming in with this stuff, and they can make money on that if they would come together and form, you know, businesses as cooperatives. Uh, they could really make money and have this whole sense of a much better quality of life. So I like what you're doing, sir. I like what you're doing. Can we talk a little bit about the issues that you are dealing with? You talked about some of it. On your webpage, you have Capital Access, Climate and Energy Corporation, Diversity, Election okay. Integrity, Clean clean Water, Food and Ag. You, you just, you, there's a lot of different sort of issues that you're dealing with. Worker ownership. This is alphabetical. Okay. Sustainable economics. Uh, any particular one of these? I know we talked about the tax bill. We want to get to that, but any anything that you sort of like want to highlight now that you're working on? Well, let's start, you know, a, a little bit with the the, the work around uh, worker ownership. I think, you know, on the website, the folks can be able to find it. But in essence, we, we're asking Congress to create tax parity for worker-owned companies with tax reforms that allow co-ops the same tax benefits as ESOPs, whether an ESOP is of a C-Corp or an S-Corp, and makes co-ops and ESOPs uh, eligible for federal economic development tax incentives, right? So what we're trying to do, you know, in the, in the concept here in general, you know, is that you know, if the tax codes get, get, get fixed in order to recognize, you know, the value of worker owners, you know, if they can have that kind of tax parity, then let equals then compete on an equal playing field. Well, you know, one of the phrases that we often use and across the policies that we're working on is create a level playing field. You know, why would not co-ops, worker co-ops, be able to have the same tax benefits as ESOPs then? You know, let them compete and then let you know, let workers decide, let businesses decide what models are the best models to, to actually be able to pursue. Okay. And, you know, that that's the kind of opportunity that we think that legislation could have 
know, an important part in creating that level playing field. David, right? and then, mm-hmm. we got to come back and talk about this level playing field. But right Great. now we have to take our second break and we'll be right back. Thank you very much, sir. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, WOS, 95.9 FM. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Cooperative. It's sponsored by the National Cooperative Bank. NCB's mission is to, is to support and be an advocate for Americans' cooperatives and their members, especially in low-income communities by providing innovative financial and related services. And today we have Mr. David Levine, who's a co-founder of American Sustainable Business Council, ASBC. And before we took break, you were talking about a level playing field, this tax parity. And you talked about with worker-owned cooperatives, and for everybody out there, a worker-owned cooperative is a business that's owned by the employees. It's owned and controlled by the employees. And it's a cooperative, and that's using the values and the principles of cooperatives, which we probably won't get into today. But you talk about comparing that to ESOPs. ESOPs, uh, relatively new. Uh, that's employee stock option plan. And the government put in laws so that the employees could buy a business, particularly if an owner is going to retire. Like there's a lot of baby boomers out there that have businesses. And so we're trying to get the word out that you can make that into an ESOP or you can make it into a co-op. And there are some advantages. An ESOP could be owned by the employees, but it may not be controlled by the employees. Where in a cooperative, it has to be owned and controlled by the employees. Um, David, you were talking about the level playing field and tax parity before we left. And so if you want to make any more comments, because I cut you off about that, and then I would like to go into a little bit about the, this this whole tax. Um, well, there's a lot of words to describe it. I I, I, I describe it as a ripoff for the middle class. But let's let's <laughs> talk mm-hmm, about this mm-hmm. new policy. <laughs> so, did you have right. any comments about the tax well, parity between these? What, what, what I would say is that there, you know, we don't have to go into a lot of detail on it, but there are a number of bills that are actually before Congress, and there are a number of opportunities and some laws that are being looked at, and some of which that have passed at the state level that really are opportunities to support worker ownership. And so, you know, I could just name a few of them, and and then folks, you know, are certainly happy to provide more detail on on some of that. One of them is the Promotion and Expansion of Private Employee Ownership Act, you know, which gives folks the ability to defer capital gains tax and provides a similar tax breaks to worker and union co-ops. There's the Work Act, you know, which is would authorize the Department of Labor to provide training grants and technical support to local and state programs that promote worker ownership. Then there's and that's Bernie Sanders is working on that bill, the Empowering Act. You know, is a, a Republican, it's a Minnesota representative, Paulson, that pushed that one through. Gen- Senator Gillibrand from New York has crafted legislation to increase the size of loans available on the Small Business Administration 7A program, 
for financing a company's transition to employee ownership and does a number ensures that businesses owned by veterans, women, and minorities keep their federal contracting status when they transition to employee ownership, right? So the idea that they could still be able to secure those contracts even though they are now a worker-owned company. And like so, these are a number of bills that are out there that have been introduced that I think that the the different parts of the worker ownership community have are advocating for. And, you know, what we're saying is, you know, this is a good opportunity for those that are really interested in seeing these advance for all of us to be able to work together to push these forward. And, you know, you have other bills, like I said, that were also introduced at the state level. And one just passed in New York recently that, you know, its aim is to provide support for training to enable more worker co-ops to come into formation. So, again, lots of creative opportunities from the tax front, you know, over to the training front, over to the tax parity front, right? A number of ways that we could sort of, again, create this equal opportunity or level playing field for worker co-ops to actually coexist alongside the other corporate forms there and then let, let's let the, the, the best forms win, you know. And, mm-hmm. But without that kind of, you know, uh, fair shot at it, you know, it's, it's not going to make it easy. And in spite of it, you still see a growth in worker-owned co-op, but this is not as easy as it should be in, in order to implement. And that's what we're looking at by trying to get the broad community behind these kinds of bills. Well, you know, New York has put uh, with a two and a half million dollars last year and two point six million this year to help form worker cooperatives. And Madison, Wisconsin, did five million uh, five million dollars a million a year for five years to work, help worker cooperatives. Are you familiar with the book uh, "Communities Building Wealth"? The city of Richmond created a, a, a wealth building uh, uh, sort of division, and that in the center of that was worker-owned cooperatives to to create wealth. And this, this whole thing, which I didn't understand, David, in economics class of the multiplier effect. But I really get it now that when you have a worker-owned cooperative, these workers live in the communities. Normally they live in the communities, then they shop in the communities, and that dollar that they make stays right. in the community and it turns six, seven, eight times. That builds the community up much faster than in most, most poor communities. The worker works outside of the community and then they shop outside of the community, and at best, it's one time. It turns once in that community. They bring it in, and that's they, right. they spin it out. That's right. So the community right. well, doesn't get that. That, yeah. that concept of looking you know, at this idea of how we also look, at, and what's important here is to tie that back to the way states and localities look at economic development. So the idea that you know everyone is vying for you know, to bring in that big corporation to set up their big manufacturing plant or their their operations, you know, in their particular state, and because that's going to be the boom to the economy. But exactly what you're talking about, you know, would hopefully reorient us towards understanding if you're rebuilding Main Street, if you've got that diversified set of enterprises that you're building, that not only would that enable some different sort of stability because that big company as quickly as it can come in it can go it could move out right and that devastates the community and leaves them behind so the idea of diversity right in an ecosystem 
in nature, right? There's not, you know, if there's only but one species, then then the system breaks down. You know, when we should look at our economy in the same way. If you have but one enterprise in a community, everything, you know, hinges on that one company. And therefore, you know, whether it's the, you know, you know, company, you know, states and in, in, in localities, you know, offering up incredible tax breaks to lure someone in, thus decreasing their ability to have the revenue that they need to build the infrastructure, invest in education, invest in all the things that they need to invest in, you know, it has an impact. And so this idea of being able to keep money circulating more locally is crucial to how we think about it. And so instead of trying to lure these folks in, there's a interesting, right, we know that uh, Amazon, right, put out this national opportunity, right, for folks to say, you know, let us be, you know, become the place that hosts, you know, our, our you know, our next build in terms of where we locate our next facility and the mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. And there's an interesting story that emerged, you know, the mayor of Little Rock, Mayor Mark Spadola, I think garnered a great deal of national attention when he basically said, you know, a- Amazon need not apply. You know, that's not the way that we're going to build our economy in Little Rock. And, uh, and so, you know, this is the type of thinking that the mayor of Little Rock has held is that you need to build the strength of your community on on the enterprises there that will enable you that kind of diversity and in that diversity comes that strength and you know and and the and, and the ability to keep the money circulating as as you articulated earlier. Well the name of that book is Cities Building Community Wealth and it's by Democracy Collaborative. And it's an excellent little read. It's a pamphlet-like. Mm-hmm. And in there, it talks about Christina, who's a Mexican-American, who is a maid. And she was making $7 an hour. And then she either joined or they created a worker-owned cooperative. And she went from $7 an hour to $20 an hour. And that they were more efficient in their workplace. And they, the profit they made, they shared it with the worker. So having that increase, that's threefold increase without – the only thing I don't like, David, about the the minimum wage going to $15 is the whole sort of bag of goods will go up too because your cost of goods are going up. And if people want to keep the same profit margin, then the the price of bread and the price of cars and everything will go up. But by doing it this way, by sharing in on the profit and getting into where they are now managing and they know how to manage better and organize better and have more efficiencies, she went threefold in her her income. And she had a small family, so what she chose to do was work less hours and spend more time with her family. You're talking about that quality of life. She's parenting her children. So she gets the economic, the social, uh, the sort of well-being all in in this one change this one change yeah. uh, so i really recommend re- that read it's an awesome awesome read a democracy collaborative put out building community right. wealth and this is where the city of richmond created a vision of of uh community wealth building and it's like to see more more communities get into that whether it's little rock arkansas or madison wisconsin or Bluefield, West Virginia. These communities get into how do you build this wealth from for the people that's there and not from outsiders, not for 
shareholders who live outside of the community and take the wealth away. Right. And I think that there's a number of different models. You know, we had mentioned a bit of sort of access to capital to grow worker own companies. But just in general, the idea of, you know, other creative mechanisms to ensure that, that money is flowing to new entrepreneurship, you know, these kinds of innovations that could take place, particularly in hard hit communities and the like. And, you know, I think that's the opportunity is to look at these other financing mechanisms. One of the the bills that uh, the American Sustainable Business Council worked on was the Crowdfunding Act, the part of the American Jobs Act several years ago. But the, the concept, you know, here, which is also being played out at the state level, you know, is that what you do is you open up some of the securities law to allow folks that don't have as great uh, a set of of means to them to actually invest in businesses, hopefully within their community and the like. You know, so the idea of you knowing your neighbor, but knowing your local business, and then being able to invest in those businesses because they're an important part of your community. So this idea of being able to use electronic platforms as a mechanism to be able to to bring those funds in and the like is one of those creative mechanisms that have been created over the last number of years that allow us to have us as communities invest in the kinds of businesses that we want to see in our communities. And, and I think that's an important step forward so that, you know, we're invested in the business and the business in turn is invested back in the community. So that relationship building, as we talk about the sort of the shift in culture, that it's not, you know, this idea that, that I have to succeed, you know, you have to fail in order for me to succeed, but we can create that win-win-win opportunity is, I think, you know, important when we look at how, you know, money gets moved around and the like. So programs yeah. like that or the community development credit unions David, or the others, forms out there. Mm-hmm. We got to take our final break <laughs> and we'll come back and talk more about win, win, win. That's what okay. co-ops do. Thank you. So we'll be right back. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, WOS, 95.9 FM. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. We're in our final segment today with David Levine, a co-founder of the American Sustainable Business Council, who has a wealth of information and a powerful impact on our economy, bringing people together to share similar views. David, we only have 15 more minutes, and there's so much more to talk about in your actions. You have climate and energy, high road workforce, financial matters, which you were just talking about, health care regulations, safer chemicals, diversity and inclusion, and clean water. And we could spend an hour talking about any one of those segments, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight different segments, any one that stands out. Because I also see that, like under healthcare, you can have worker-owner cooperatives, or in Madison, Wisconsin, there is a health clinic that is a, uh, that's owned by the consumers, uh, the patients own this clinic, so it's a patient-centric clinic. So it's focused on what's best for the 
patient, not what's best for the bottom line. Uh, so any of these areas, we could talk about cooperatives. Um, but in, any particular of these areas you want to talk about or what you're doing now, either in legislation or in producing businesses? Well, uh, you know, I would say that the key part of, you know, the mission that we bring, if we sort of go back to the beginning of our conversation, is that, you know, there is an opportunity you know, for us to change the way we talk and think about business. You know, the business voice in this country carries an, an inordinate amount of power. You know, not only does it often have the financial means to sort of influence things and engage in the, the political process and the like, but the perspective that business holds has mattered a lot in how we make our decisions, what's good for the economy, what's good for business. And the like, and so this idea, you know, that has emerged over the last number of decades, where it has been named and explicitly stated, and there's more and more criteria that are being developed to help folks understand how you could pursue a pathway of whether you call it responsible, values-based, or sustainable business. The idea that you know one could institute these kinds of practices within their businesses to take care of their employees because in taking care of their employees you know they're going to be able to take care of their business that it's that win-win part that we talked about mm-hmm. that if we're not polluting the environment i mean we talked that you know west virginia was mentioned before there was that elk river spill in west virginia $61 million worth of economic damage in a week, polluting the water so people didn't have access. Or is it Flint, Michigan, and the water system there and the like? You know, these have economic costs. And could we not, could we not, with the, the smarts that we have, with the business intention put to it, right, be able to create the kinds of solutions that are not polluting the environment? Can we not create the solutions that are taking care of our communities and our employees? Can that not then have an impact on the well-being of folks and therefore decrease the amount of disease or dependence upon the opioids that we talked about earlier? So businesses have an incredible role to play in instituting what we might call sustainable business practices or high-road business practices where they're taking care of their employees, taking care of their community, taking care of the world around them as they also improve their business and their financial bottom line, right? And then secondly, the key part here for the work of the American Sustainable Business Council is to be able to say, wouldn't we all be better off if we figured out a way, even if we're competing in business, to be able to work together in order to, uh, you know, advance similar issues and policies that actually help us to grow this kind of sensibility, these sets of values, and the opportunity to support, whether it's worker ownership or, for instance, there was a bill in California that we had companies like Seventh Generation, Earth Friendly Products, Honest Company, others that join together that are competing in the marketplace around cleaning product sales and and the like but banded together in order to help pass an ingredient disclosure bill for cleaning products. Why? Because at the end of the day, you know, consumers want to be able to buy products that are safer and healthier. 
Mm-hmm. And part of the way that you can do that is by knowing what's in the product. So honesty and disclosure, transparency. Hey, isn't that a concept? You know, for you know, because like, right, what parent is going to want to walk into a store and buy a toxic product that they'll bring home? that will impact the health of their children and their family. We don't need to have those sorts of things. But what we need, though, unfortunately, is policies to help set the the low bar on this to say we need to provide access as businesses, you know, to the information so that the public can make the right sorts of decisions around things. And, you know, that kind of but that was banding together as competing businesses in order to advance a greater cause than than their business alone. And I think that's the key to the work of the American Sustainable Business Council is inviting all businesses, worker-owned businesses, businesses of any corporate form, right, of any sector, of any size, to be able to come together so we can influence change at the local, state, and national level. So... In order to advance that work, not only do we have the American Sustainable Business Council at the national level, but we have the organizations that are affiliated with us at the state level, a New York Sustainable Business Council, a North Carolina Business Council, or Ohio Sustainable Business Council, a West Virginia Sustainable, right? So across the country, these business organizations that are gathering together the businesses and the business organizations that understand that there's a new path forward for business in this country. In fact, it will be the only one that will perhaps enable us to say that we are actually paying attention for what needs to happen for generations to come. And that's, I think, the big message of what we see a diverse set of issues in our portfolio of what we're paying attention to. These these things are all connected. What happens around climate change and climate extreme weather impacts health and well-being, impacts the well-being of an economy and how well our businesses can do, which impacts in turn, right, the supply chains, which impacts in turn, right, the financial system. All of these issues are connected. So the more we can think in sort of a systems model, a way of just seeing the, the ways that these relate to each other, and the more that we can come together as a larger community, kind of influence the change that we need to see, the more that I think we'll move towards a kind of society, you know, in which worker ownership and these other forms of high road and sustainable business will become the mainstream as opposed to a nice alternative. David, how did you come personally? How did you come to these conclusions? I mean, they seem to make all the sense in the world to me, and I came. It took me a while to get here in terms of a philosophy, a life philosophy. But how did you – could you walk us – take a couple minutes and walk us through? How did you get to here? Well, I I think, you know, part of it was, you know, I had an early experience where, you know, I I got uh, just outside of high school and – a friend had called me who had gotten a, a call from another friend who had seen a poster on the wall at the college that they were going to that said, make a difference, change the world, $80 a, a month room and board, you know, and come come join us in Providence, Rhode Island for with a group called PACE, you know, people acting on community efforts. And, and so I took off for Providence, Rhode Island. And I think, 
you know, to do some community organizing. And but I think that the big lesson that I learned was that it was not me that needed to provide the answers to these solutions, but it was being able to listen to the perspectives of the folks that I was meeting when I was knocking on the doors to hear what was of concern to them. And even if I had some of the solutions in mind, the strategies that might help to win on the issues that they wanted, how could we learn together as a community? How could we build the relationships amongst each other in order to be able to build up the trust so that we could then proceed to do the kind of work in order to tackle the problems, but create solutions that were going to work not just for me, but work for the larger community. And there was lessons like that that I was able to learn early on that I think helped me understand these ideas around how do you make sure that the work that you're doing is about listening as much as it is about trying to put forward other ideas. How much is it about finding out ways that we can actually collaborate with each other? How much can we move forward in a framework that understands that it's more than about just money, but it's about the long-term well-being of ourselves, our families, but the larger community and society? And I get, David, with the 30 seconds we have left, that you really enjoy what you're doing. You're making a difference in the world. <laughs> Uh, I think we all, you know, to the extent that we can, and that's where worker ownership comes in, put meaning back in what we do in our work life. And that's the opportunities here in this and other forms of, of, of the kind of work that we could do together in order to ensure that there is a more meaningful life for us here and we do create that kind of well-being across the board. Thank you, David. Thank you very much. Uh, go on asbcouncil.org. Uh, you can click on Contact Us. You can fill it out to join. You can also donate money there. David, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for your time. Uh, everybody for listening today. I hope you got a lot out of it. The information is good to give you the power to make a difference in your life. We'll be back next Thursday, and please have a cooperative week. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, WOS, and 95.9 FM.